Good morning. Feels like it's been a long time since I've been, been in town. It's good to be back among family. The scripture reading I'd set aside for this morning is from Luke chapter 11, and it's verse 20. Let me read it to you. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. A few years ago, the State Department sent me to Rome. It was, uh, it was an interesting place to be. I had an afternoon off, so I went over to the Sistine Chapel. And like most of the tourists there, I strained my neck as I looked up and around at all of the beautiful artwork that was present in the Sistine Chapel. It was incredible. I was particularly impressed by the frescoes on the ceiling that had been painted by Michelangelo back in the 1500s. There are nine of them up there. And they are designed to depict scenes from God's creation of the world, his relationship with mankind in Edom, and man's fall from grace. Probably the most well-known of all of those pictures is the scene where, which they call the creation of Adam. Now in this scene, Adam is lying lifeless. He has his left hand out and his limp hand is waiting for life. Above him, God reaches down, outstretched arm, and their fingers are that far apart. It's that close to the point in which God breathes life into Adam. Now, the creation of Adam is only a reflection of an idea rather than a picture of reality. Genesis doesn't tell us very much about that moment in which God gives life to Adam. However, the idea captured in that particular painting is a powerful one. It is a God that is out, has stretched out his hand and has the finger to touch man's life and give him life. It is a vision of God that is reinforced throughout the Bible and serves as a foundation of our faith today. Christianity is about responding to a God who has stretched out his hand, not just to give us life, but to give us life eternal and to draw us into his embrace so that we might be with him through eternity. Now I want you to keep that in mind as we spend the next few minutes talking about what it means to be touched by the finger of God and living life at God's fingertips. There are four verses in the Bible that, speci that specifically refer to the finger of God. Now the first one is the ten plagues. The second and the third reflect how he wrote on the tablets uh, containing the ten commandments. And the fourth was the scripture I just read to you. It's about Christ's commenting on the nature of his miraculous works. It was that last one that caught my attention and framed the way I wanted to bound today's lesson. What better way to talk about being touched by God than to describe the experiences of those who were physically touched by Jesus while he was among us? Now, a review of the gospel scriptures describing such events reveals that the people Jesus touched received one of four core benefits. And I want you to think about those with me this morning. Those four benefits are cleansing, healing, resurrection, and blessing. Now, the, among the miracles of Christ's life was cleansing. And that is to remove something. That, that means to take something away. Christ cleansed with his touch. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to be reading verses 2 through 4. Matthew 8, 2 through 4. And if you're interested in this particular story, it can also be found in Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 5. Because three of the four Gospels thought this was a pretty important story to share. 
Matthew 8, 2 through 4. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift, offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now leprosy covered a wide array of skin diseases, but the consistent thing that you see in the scripture is that they meant isolation. They meant separation, because nobody wanted to be around you. Nobody wanted to risk the contagion. Nobody wanted to take a chance that they too would be isolated from society and those they loved. Christ's cleansing was immediate and the man had only to present himself to the priests to, pro to prove that what Christ had given him was comprehensive cleansing. And it was not just a question of, of cleansing, it was a question of reintroducing himself into society, to being a part of those around him, to be able to engage with those he loved. And it was, a, it was poignant in that a man whom nobody else wanted to be around, Christ would touch. It's a telling moment. Christ also brought healing. Now healing means to make right. Failed or failing body parts were preventing people from using their physical senses and abilities. Their bodies were broken. Christ not only made the part, the part whole and functional, he also ensured that the senses and abilities that those parts represented and supported worked properly as well. And he did it on the spot. Turn to Mark chapter 7. I'm going to be reading Mark chapter 7, verses 32 through 35. Mark 7, 32 through 35. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Now this is probably the best example of the comprehensive nature, nature of Christ's healing. Not only could the man hear and speak, he could also speak plainly. If you've ever dealt with somebody who is hard of hearing, the ability to articulate ideas, to be able to translate what they have heard and convey it through their mouth is a challenge. It is a difficult thing that comes with time, right? Not in this case. It's not just a question of healing the ears and the mouth. It is the question of the ability to express himself. He was understandable. It's a miracle that goes beyond just the senses and touches the life. Luke 22:51 tells us that Christ touched his ears and healed him. Christ made it right then and there. Now Christ also brought resurrection with his touch. Resurrection means to bring back. There's an old saying, where there's life, there's hope. With Christ, there is always hope, as proved by those instances in which he brought back people from the dead. Matthew 9, 23 through 25 tells us, when Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. She got up. He reaches down, he takes her by the hand, and she gets up. 
this girl that everybody thought was dead. That's the mourning party that he's kicked out of the room. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 15. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. He brings him back. He's on his way to being buried. And Jesus raises him up and returns him to his loved one. Now, Jesus, in, in touching, also offered blessing. That means to give or call for a divine benefit. Though anyone can appeal to God to confer such a benefit, it's sometime, it is something only God can do at the end of the day. Virtually all the miracles that were performed by Christ were by their nature a blessing. The only exception I could think of was when he condemned the fig tree and it died. That was such a stark exception that it kind of stands out, doesn't it? Everything else is to a benefit. And in this particular case, it wasn't. It was to a lesson. Turning bad to good is what Jesus did. Some of Christ's blessings were, however, designed to turn good to better. Think about the sermon I preached a, a, a few Sundays ago where we talked about the little children coming to Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Now, there was nothing fundamentally wrong with these children. What Jesus gave them was something more. It was not just a recovery or a redemption. It was a blessing. It was an addition. God's touch is not just something that confers good. It is something that confers better. Imagine how much more the embrace of God must yield. Now, cleansing, healing, resurrection, and blessing... Christ acting as the finger of God while he was living among us demonstrated those capabilities and through his miracles and removed what was wrong, made things right, reclaimed life, and made life better. I'm here to tell you this morning that, the death, that through his death and resurrection, he purchased those things for all of us. This was not just a manifestation of when he walked among us as a man. It is his role as our savior. I want to talk to you for the next few minutes about what it means to be touched by the finger of God through Christ. Through his son's death, he sought to remove our sin, to make us right in his presence, to bring back our spiritual relationship, and thereby grant us the greatest of all divine benefits, life eternal in his presence. Christ, the finger of God, offers, offers us spiritual cleansing. We were hateful in God's sight. We were sinners. We were condemned. Nothing we could do could save us. Consider all the things the Jews had to do just to dwell in his presence when they, when they entered the temple. The high priest had to go through an extensive cleansing process just to come into God's presence on behalf of the people. It took all of Leviticus and a professional priesthood to track what we, what we were responsible for. Christ served as the perfect sacrifice for all of us and now acts as our high priest, giving us access, 
offering us access to the presence of our God in a way that the Jews could only envy. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of his creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean sanctified them so that they were outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? the perfect sacrifice. And because of that sacrifice, we can enter into God's presence. Christ, the finger of God, offered us spiritual healing. Consider the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son we grew up with. He repented of his evil deeds and returned to his father, who welcomed him with open arms and forgave him his transgressions. The story might have ended right there, but it didn't. The, son took the, 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 the father takes the son into his house and throws him a huge party in celebration of his return. God offers us more than just forgiveness, although that is an important part of what he has given us. Through Christ, he offers us acceptance and reconciliation. We don't come back as pure penitents. We come back as children of God. And that's incredible when you think about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. All of, all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you to cry on Christ's behalf, be ye reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to pause and consider for a moment, the fact that you have a role in the outstretched hand of God, because God has made you a part of his plan. You are at the end of God's fingertip, reaching out to a lost and dying world. There is a role for you in this touch of God, and I want you to keep that in mind as we consider this lesson this morning, because this is not just about what Jesus did then or what it means to mankind as a whole. It is about what it means to each of us as Christians. The responsibility God has placed in our hands, the, the, the responsibility that God has given us as a blessing, because he has given us so much, it is for us to be a part of the outreach, to be a part of the touch at the fingertip of God. Many will be made righteous. That's not just the absence of wrong, it is the presence of good. Through Christ we are made right before God. That is the nature of healing, to make right. Now Christ, as the finger of God, offers a spiritual resurrection. Let's go back to the parable of the prodigal son for a moment. God goes further than the father in the story did. Remember what he told the older son when the older son complained? You are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Though he was reconciled to the younger son, all he had belonged to the older. God doesn't do it that way. He welcomes us all back as sons and heirs, giving us the right to share in the inheritance of Christ along with those who have gone before. I'd like to read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 for you. And I'm going to draw from the King James Version because I like the way it describes this. 
And you he hath quickened. Quickened here means made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sin. Whereas in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us, has made us alive, together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. To sit together. Christ the finger of God offers us spiritual blessing. God offered the divine gift of the Holy Spirit to those who acknowledged and obeyed his son. In doing so, he put a part of himself in each of us, making us better than we could have ever hoped to make ourselves. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What does all this mean? It's well captured in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, where we read, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Now you might notice that I very frequently use the word offer when I was describing the miraculous gifts that are available to us through Christ. That's because the spiritual cleansing, the healing, the resurrecting, and the blessing of God are not automatic. Like Michelangelo's painting of the creation of Adam, God's hand is outstretched. But unlike Adam, we're alive and we have a choice to make. It is for us to select whether or not we will reach out and grasp the hand that is extended to us to take the finger of God that is outstretched to give us life and life anew and life eternal. You have to be willing to reach out to God to obtain the blessing. That means believing Christ's message of salvation, repenting of your sins, and the unrighteousness in your life, putting on Christ in baptism and reaching past God's finger to take his hand and hold it solidly. Maybe you've done these things, but your hands have slipped and have drawn away from God. You look up to find some distance between you and the hand that was always there and remains there for you. It didn't move. You did. Whatever your need may be, whether it is to seize that hand that offers the hope of life and life eternal or to reclaim the grasp that has always been there for you, this is an opportunity. Arise and be baptized. Seize the finger of God that gives life and life eternal. Hold on to the hand that, it, that sustains you and gives you strength and makes you whole and resurrects you and will bring you to him in the last day. Whatever your need may be, won't you come as we stand and sing?